The information contained in this podcast is general in nature and is not to be taken as financial or personal advice. It does not consider your objectives, financial situation or needs. You should consider whether this information is suitable for you and your personal circumstances before acting on it. Hi, and welcome to The Home Run, your guide to buying your first home in Australia. On the show, I'll walk you through the home buying process from every angle. We cover the steps to take, the pitfalls to avoid, and the answers to all your questions you've been dying to ask. No matter what stage you're at, you'll learn everything you need to know about buying your first home. I'm your host, Michael Nasser, and I'm a mortgage broker at Lens Street. And I really love helping people buy their first home. In today's episode, it's part two of my conversation with Belinda Botsolis, property strategist for Metropole. You'll hear Belinda talk about the importance of taking emotion out of a property purchase, why looking beyond just your first suburb preference could help you find your dream home. And Belinda shares her advice on figuring out where to compromise to make sure you're getting the best asset in a suburb that you love. All right, let's get into it. Something you mentioned which resonated with me was not being emotional. And you said, I'm going to take the emotion out of this and work on it with no emotion. It leads to the next thing that we're going to talk about, which is homeowner versus investor mindset to buying. Can you expand on the concept that a first home buyer should try to ascertain as they purchase? And is there any correlation with how they should think about it in terms of how an investor would think about it? That's the fun part of buying your first home. I remember when I purchased my first home, there was a lot of emotion. I was excited. I was young. I'd saved up my deposit and I bought a unit, wasn't off the plan. I was actually very old and I was so excited and emotional about I was going to renovate it and rip the old carpet out and I wanted to audition for the block and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. But because I was a value, I also really stood back and thought, okay, is it a great location? Is it a great complex? Is it a good size? Where's my aspect? Where's my orientation? Is it going to be a sunny apartment? So all these things came into, is there a car space versus a garage? Because I knew this wasn't going to be my forever home and two options. I may sell it one day. I want top dollar and I may rent it one day. I want to attract good tenants. So as much as I looked at it through the eyes of a homeowner, and yes, you have to look at it with some level of emotion, you also got to look at its future potential because it may be your property that you own now and you may own it for the next 30 years and it may be one of your greatest assets, okay? And if it is an asset and it is something that you can sell for money, why not buy the best quality asset you can with the money you have? So it's about getting that great property. Yes, it's got to hit your own emotional needs that you're going to live in, but also think and take a step back. I invite you to take a step back and look at it for what it's really worth and what it is in terms of an asset as a real estate piece of bricks and mortar and concrete. Is it on a main road? Is it opposite a school? Is it down the street from a service station that you're going to have huge trucks? Is it out the front of a bus stop? You might not mind, but if it goes to resell or a tenant may turn around and say, no, you don't want any market resistance on that property. For first home buyers that are going through this the first time, it's pretty safe to say that emotions probably will get the better part of them in some way, shape or form. So having done it so many times, how would you recommend they approach it or what kind of tips could you give to a first home buyer to make sure that they're not getting too emotional or to recognize that they're getting too emotional? Get off TikTok, Instagram, and Pinterest, and don't spend too much on homes that you want your home to be. Buy what is important to you. What I'm trying to say is don't go chasing the dream. 
and the house. Look outside the house too. Is it in a good street? Has it got a good size block of land? Where's the orientation? Because the three things that you can never change on the home, you can always change the house. You can knock it down. You can rebuild it. You can renovate it, but you can never change the location. No matter what you do, you can never change the orientation. You can never change the land size. These are the three fundamentals. And they're also the three fundamentals that we look at when we're valuing your home. So that's where you strip out the emotion, okay? Is this a great street? Is this a great location? Is it a busy location? The home can always have a level of renovation done to it. But do you see this as a good quality asset? Not just, oh, it's got really pretty stone bench tops and I love the tiles. And that's an emotional decision. It's a really pretty home. Oh, you know what? I'll get used to the noise. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's on the Hume Highway. Who cares? Yeah, you might not care, but when it's a downward market and you go to sell it, I'm pretty sure that the market's going to care and they're not going to be paying anywhere near what you think it's worth. It's tough. What I sort of picked out there is that justification of something that you know may not be right, but yeah, I'll put up with the noise or I can live with that. And I think it's important to know that if you're feeling that at that moment, then someone else later on will be thinking that too, potentially, and that could affect it. And if you're neglecting that in that instance, well, maybe the next person won't. And if they don't, well, then it's going to affect the price potentially. What I love about what you're saying is have that end goal in mind, so to speak. And although it's your first home, the likelihood of that being your forever home is extremely low. You mentioned that we change homes between seven and eight times, I think you said it was, and before you find your final home. Know that, and if you haven't recognized it, your first home won't be your last home. So think about those things because they will affect you and they potentially may have an effect on what you can do going forward. Do you have any examples of somebody that's bought a first home as an off the plan and what they were able to do after it or somebody that's bought something else? I'll just go back to what you said about yeah. they change homes seven to eight times. I think what I was saying is they change homes every seven to eight years, years. and maybe three times. Okay, cool. The reason I pulled you up on that is I just want for your listeners to understand that the majority of the bulk of the, the first home buyers right now are the millennials. So they're the people that are getting married, they're having their children when they're having their children or, or statistically women are now having 1.7 children per household. They want their three, four bedrooms and they now are more prepared to go further out to get that home versus living closer to the city and that lifestyle. So that's where like the new house and land packages are getting really appealing and they're pushing out further. What I think it is too is these millennials want to start off where their parents left off. Unfortunately, it's really, really, really hard to do that. So they are then pushing out and that's where they want to buy that emotion. Like, I grew up with a backyard. I grew up with having my own bedroom. I didn't have to share with my, I didn't live in an apartment, none of my friends. So you have that inherited ideal of what you want your home to look like. And that's another part that you get the emotion. So I would say, don't look to just start off where your parents left off, use the opportunity as slight stepping stones to work okay. your way up if you have to. That's where buying sometimes the best quality asset in the best suburb you can afford because they get the better capital growth. That's what helps you long-term. Long -term. You've touched mm -hmm. on quality asset and quality property and that speaks to sort of what I wanted to mention at this point. And you should be striving as a, for a first-time purchaser at any time you purchase to buy the best property one can buy. What forms the basis of a quality property? A good quality property can make up two parts. Aesthetically speaking, some people think it's, it's just a really nice looking home and it's got, you get that. Sometimes I think, you know, you walk in, you're like, oh, this is the home. Mm -hmm. And then you grab your partner by the arm. You're like, babe, this is it. 
I know I talk a lot about take the emotion out. I think you need that when you do buy your home, but you've got to also then look at it realistically. Okay. So a quality home has to have a great location, has to have good bones. And just because it's not aesthetically beautiful in terms of it's got a beautiful kitchen and bathroom, try and look a little bit beyond that and see the actual bones of the home. Has it got a good floor plan? Are there a good amount of bedrooms? And if it doesn't hit your target now, maybe in the future, has it got scope for a little renovation that you can add value to? Is it near good schools? What's the walkability factor? Are you near cafes and shops? Are you in the middle of nowhere? You're in a cul-de-sac? So a great quality property has to hit, I think, a few markers for you personally, but also I keep talking about the main road and being located near a school, power lines in front of a bus stop, all those main things that would make the market pull back a bit. Having a quality asset just really means that it's going to appeal to the broader market now in five years time and in 10 years time. How can a first home buyer ensure they are purchasing the best possible property they can afford? No matter what stage in your buying career with your first home buyer or you're a seasoned person in their 40s and 50s, 60s and buying your eighth home, right? We all have that goal suburb that we want to live in. And sometimes that goal suburb may come with a reduced affordability because it's slightly higher and more expensive. And then we are sort of wanting to buy in that A-grade suburb, but we're going to be buying a lesser home. I think you've got to ask yourself, what makes that property for you? Because sometimes if you really have your heart set on that A-grade suburb and you want want to be walking distance to the beach, you want to be walking distance to your favorite park or to the cafes, to that lifestyle suburb, are you prepared to live there but at a slightly inferior home? Or would you be prepared to live in a unit, but still in that lifestyle location? So I think when you're buying the best property you can afford or the best quality property, you have to decide whether you're buying for that location and you're not going to compromise on that. Because some people are like, I have a budget, I'd rather compromise on the property and not the suburb. Other people are like, I have a family, I'd love to be in this A-grade suburb, but I can't afford it and I don't want to live in a unit, I need to live in a house. Be prepared to look outside your goal or your target A-grade areas and go to sort of your B and your C and see where your money can take you. And you might be pleasantly surprised and say that, you know what, I'm stepping out of what I've known. I've already grown up in this area, but I can't afford it. But you know what, these B and C-grade areas are actually not too bad. Then you're then compromising. You're still sticking to your budget, but you may still stick into your asset class or the home that you want, but you're sort of compromising on that location. So I mean, all these things I touched on, make sure it's a great property and it's got good bones and you see past the aesthetics and you know, it may not have the nicest kitchen. Kitchens are easy, you can fix it. But what you can't fix is the location. So work out what's really, really important for you and then work out what you're prepared to compromise on and then I think take it from there. Talking about A-grade suburbs, B-grade suburbs, what are the distinguishing factors that would make up the difference between an A-grade suburb and a B-grade suburb like Your C-grade suburb, Michael, could be my A-grade suburb because our budgets are different. We're talking in Sydney only because it had that TV show on it, you know, that show on Mount Druitt. For some people, they may not live there if it was given to them for free. For other people, that's their home. That's That's what they love and they want to live there. And there's plenty of sales transactions in Mount Druitt. So Mm. to someone, that's their A-grade suburb. And that's where they want to live because there obviously is Otherwise, there wouldn't be any sales in that area. Yeah. So somebody's A grade will always be somebody's D grade and vice versa. 
is it your A-grade suburb or is it your B-grade suburb? Yeah. So I think define it as yeah. your A-grade or your – because there isn't like a A-grade suburb. It's a very personal thing. So on that note, if someone had the decision, assuming that their budget was the limiting factor, which it often is, would you be buying like a unit in an A-grade suburb or in your A-grade suburb or would you be buying for the same budget, say, some land and a house in your B-grade suburb? Like is there like a pecking order in that regard? I would buy the best quality asset you can afford where you want to live and make sure it's family friendly. So avoiding one bedrooms, if it is two bedroom, can you get a study in there? That young couple, that first homeowners will have like a young couple, then they have a baby. Mm. But then the dad and the mom, they've got to work from home. Where are you going to work from? So making sure that it's going to have your long and short-term goals in mind when you buy it. I started off in a unit, then I went to a villa, and now I've recently built my forever home and I'm not going because it was the biggest (laughs) headache building it. But I did, I started off in a little unit. But as I said, it it was big. It had two big bedrooms and it had a balcony that we enclosed because I worked from home a lot. Then I moved to a villa, had a yard, had double garage. So I was stepping up. But for me, I didn't compromise on the area. I lived where I wanted to live. It was near family, but Mm. I compromised. And then I worked my way up to a house. Some people are family ready and they can't go into a unit. That's fine as well. But I think if you have the opportunity, just buy the best quality asset you can. And again, it comes back to where you want to compromise on. It's the area or the property. And then you go as far out into your D and your C and your E grades of them until you finally hit that house. Because I've got friends that have wanted, they started off in, for instance, I live in the St. George area. They started in St. George area and then they've moved all the way down into sort of the Bankstown Canterbury area. And they found a beautiful home. If you asked them six months ago, they said, never have I ever would I wish to have moved here. But now that I'm here, I like it. It becomes home. The other thing I wanted to mention was when we were talking earlier about off the plan, and you have mentioned house and land, do you see off the plan, I know we were referring to apartments quite a lot, do you see them different to house and land? House and land, a lot less that we knock back. But what we do see is over the last two years, huge growth in those areas fantastic growth. If you've been out at those new house and land packages, you will probably be sitting there with a comfortable smile on your face because you've done really well. What we find though, is these are a lot of entry level new home owners. And again, going back to that young millennial, the later of the Gen Zs, the millennials, they are usually that mum and dad and two, three kid dynamic. And a lot of the time, they're the first ones, Michael, unfortunately, that buy in and they max out their budget. And they're the first to feel that squeeze when interest rates start going up, when inflation starts biting. A lot of them aren't high wage earners. They're very comfortable earners, but we're not talking very extremely high net worth individuals. There are a lot that live there. But if we're talking a total, a lot of them have entry-level jobs and that's fine. It's not a class of people. We're taking the people factor out of it. And what we find is a lot of the time that wages aren't going to keep up with maybe increasing rates and not just now, but over my 16 years, I've seen the market go up and then down, up and it's like a roller coaster, and that's completely normal. And if we don't see that, I'd be like, what's going on? So I feel that there is a correction coming and I don't think it's much for concern, but I feel that certain areas will feel the pinch tighter. And then what you find then is you have the risk of your property actually being worth what your mortgage is or slightly below. So you're stuck there and you can't leave and you can't sell. That is the only risk I find. Not so much in your property is not going to be worth what it's worth when you say buy it off the plan. You probably made some money on it quite comfortably, but For those that are going to start feeling the pinch, and again, a lot of them, I don't know if you've driven out, they 
very different once you go inside, but they all look the same. Usually like a handful of builders, they're all the same size blocks, 300 square meter, 400 square meter blocks, two-story, four-bedroom homes. I love valuing. I yeah. used to love valuing out there because I'd have an abundance of comparable sales that were very similar. Yeah. Okay. All you have to do, you drive there and I don't know if I made this joke with you, but you drive late at night and you tell your Uber driver, I don't know where I am. It all looks the same 3 a.m. in the morning after a couple of beers. I've been lost myself when I've driven through and my battery died. And I was like, I've been to this street before, I know, and I forgot. And I was like, man, I'm lost. I don't know. I had to go to the servo, buy a charger. Long story. That's a story for another day. day. But that's the only concern I find there is when we start feeling the pinch, these are the first areas that get hit, they get hit harder and they tend to increase really heavily because of the demand, but then they tend to sort of flatline for a lot longer. On the quality spectrum, I guess, they're not as maybe bad as off-the-plan apartments, but you've got to be quite cautious with them because they may have some positives, but they've also got a lot of negatives too. What we found, because of the labour shortage, I have seen nightmare after nightmare of just really poor workmanship. And it's all an an individual bet. You could have a whole street of absolute duds, but then the entire neighborhood is perfect, Yeah. right? It's just so happened that these five homes, and it could be completely different builders. It's just a very unfortunate individual case-by-case scenario. Yeah. So I would, in that case, if you're looking to buy in one of those new house and land package areas, please, 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 even though it's new, get a building in Pest. Peace of mind. It's only four years old. Nothing a coat of paint can't patch up before... Yeah, and then the building and pest guy will definitely pick it up. And I think that's something that you probably want to apply across all your properties that you purchase, whether it's four years old or 40 years old or 10 years old. I think more so it's for the newer homes. People are, ah, it's new. Yeah, true. You sort of fall into a different complacency. You go, I don't need to do it. It's brand new. It's not the termites that they're looking for. It's all the other defects that come with poor workmanship. We're nearing sort of the end of the conversation here. And the way I like to end it is to discuss three tips that you may have for first home buyers. It could be related to a quality property and trying to find that, or it could just be in general for first home buyers. I guess three points that, that might assist them along their journey. What would you have for them? Sorry about the market is my yeah. first one. I mean, <laughs> if I could if I could honestly just help you and say that the market's gonna get easier and you know, we may be up for a correction, Michael. We may see property prices come back. I mean, inflation just hit five point one percent the other day and they're talking about a slight increase. I don't have a crystal ball for any of that stuff, but all I can tell you is don't time the market. That's mm. my first one is don't time the market because if rates go up and you think, right, I'm gonna get a bargain, you might find and you'll know this, Michael, your borrowing capacity may drop. So yeah. you're stuck exactly where you are. It all very much relative. If your right time is now, go now. If your right time feels in six months and you're rushing everything to buy now, then you're probably not doing the right thing and vice versa. If your right time is now and you're waiting six months, I would enter the market when it's the right time for you because a lot of the time it's not your timing in the market, it's your time in the market that Mm. makes all the difference. Mm. It's all relative. It all comes out in the wash in the long run. Second is if you're a first home buyer and you haven't bought yet, yes, okay, There's a first homeowner grants. You'd be across all this, and I'm sure a lot of your first homeowners are. There is that guarantor for the first homeowners with their parents, okay? Some people, unfortunately, they don't have that option, and that's unfortunate because it does help if you do have that. I think in my first Um, home applications, the last five of them, four have been guarantor loans, So, and that's for Sydney in particular. So, yeah, definitely. I think it was 60% of first homeowners have guarantors, uh, around $100,000 help. Yeah. It's huge. If you can tap into the bank of mum and dad, 
then do that. And if not, then I would really have a sit down with you buying yourself as a first homeowner or a partner and say, I was listening to Belinda. She was awesome. No, (laughs) what are we prepared to compromise on? We really, really love this area, but we can't afford it. Would we consider going to these other suburbs? Or look, I I just know that for me, it was the location because I love to live where I lived. I couldn't afford the home, so I bought an apartment. And is that something you're prepared to compromise on? Just having that discussion so you know as a couple what your goals are together. And the second one is if you are buying a home that needs a bit of renovation, make sure you budget for that as well, especially now with inflation just creeping up the way it is, shortage of trades. Make sure that whatever you're budgeting, and please, please, please be careful with DIY stuff. A lot of the time you see these great influencers on Instagram, their husbands are professional tradies. Okay. Okay. My husband's white collar. You should see him with a calculator, <laughs> unreal, and a spreadsheet, but not so much. I'm the same not so me. much with. <laughs> and he's, look, he's handy. I'm, I'm paying him out. He's not home. He's not listening to me. But yeah. what I'm trying to say is a lot of these DIY things that you see, they're actually trained, qualified tradies, whether they're sparkies or carpenters or tilers. Yeah, on the tools. They do a lot of this stuff because they're qualified to do it. And you think, oh, you know, we'll do it and we'll slap together a quick Bunnings kitchen. We'll knock down this wall if you're thinking of doing it yourself it's going to cost you three times more because something's going to happen and it's your time to budget if you're thinking of doing a little reno to the home make sure you factor that in because if you're already stretched with your mortgage and with rates on the rise then there's no way you're going to be able to factor in that extra for the renovation if it's not in the front of mind at the beginning if anyone wants to get in touch with you You've been great with the insights that you've provided in terms of finding a quality property. If people want to get in touch with you and sort of find out more about you, how do they do that? What's the best way? I get a lot of private messages on my Instagram and it's just the valuer's house, so original. But if you just type in my name, Belinda Botsolis, LinkedIn, I have over 100,000 followers on TikTok. (laughs) I don't dance and I don't do funny videos. It's really boring property stuff. But for some reason, 100,000 people have decided to follow me and just my name, Belinda Botsolis, and I just have it as the valuer. Okay. I'm super original. I've seen a few of your posts on TikTok and I can understand why you have 100,000 followers because there's a lot of great information (laughs) in there. It's bite-sized and it's really relevant. And there's a variety of topics that you talk about, not just valuation, but just general property stuff. So I've seen it. It's it's awesome. There's a lot of uh, tips about building and, you know, looking out for, and I went through a project builder, but I really, really customized my home. So I have a lot of experience going through those display homes. And I was like, you know what? Half the stuff's not even included in the original base price. You put all the fancy stuff in the display homes and it's not going to look nothing like that when it's done. We'll have those details in the show notes so people can click onto that if they want to get in touch. But thank you so much for your time and for all the insights that you provided. It's been great. It's been a pleasure talking to you and learning as well. So thank you so much for joining me today, Belinda. Thank you, Michael. And I hope that there are people out there listening, they got something out of it because it's tough. It's been tough for the last couple of years. I don't think it's going to get any easier. And I wish you all the best of luck to all those people buying. You've been listening to The Home Run, your guide for buying your first home in Australia. This podcast was produced by Lenstreet. Lenstreet is a mortgage broker and home loan specialist that helps first home buyers find the right loan to meet their needs. We know applying for a loan can be overwhelming and complex, so we help guide and support first home buyers through the process from start to finish. To find out more, head to our website, lenstreet.com.au. We've also put a link in the show notes. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Home Run, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, 
please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Michael Nasser, and we'll be back next episode covering another step on the journey to owning your first home.